Welcome to Out of the Question, a podcast that looks behind some common questions and uncovers the question behind the question while providing real solutions for biblical world and life view. Your host is Andrea Schwartz, a teacher and mentor and founder of the Chalcedon Teacher Training Institute. One of the recurring themes during the four and a half years of this Out of the Question podcast has been the need for the education of children in Christian families to be decidedly and deliberately Christian throughout the entire curriculum. R.J. Rushduni, Chalcedon's founder and a longtime friend and colleague of his, Samuel Blumenfeld, both produced a body of work to help families in their endeavor to obey God regarding the education and stewardship of the lives of their children. Both men are no longer with us, but as I said, their books, articles, and lectures remain as valuable and vital resources. Today, I have with me Alex Newman, an award-winning international journalist, educator, author, and who, in his words, seeks to glorify God in everything he does. Alex has authored and co-authored several books But one of his major works was an expose of government schools with the late Sam Blumenfeld called Crimes of the Educators, How Utopians Are Using Government Schools to Destroy America's Children. Now, I thought, having known Sam, having known Dr. Rush Juni, and having read most of what both of them had written on the subject, I would not discover much new information in this book. However, as I made my way through it, just the opposite happened. I saw for the first time, compiled all together with a timeline, the fact that we have been victimized and assaulted by a criminal cartel that has been active in our nation to dismantle the family, the church, and our civil society. Alex, thanks for joining me. Thank you so much for having me, Andrea. It's an honor to be with you. You know, it wasn't until I saw the documentary, Truth and Lies in American Education, that I even heard of you or realized that you had co-authored a book with my dear friend, Sam Blumenfeld. But much to my surprise, the Chalcedon Foundation back in 2019 actually published a review of your book. So I realized that maybe I hadn't been as current as I thought I was. What your book demonstrates is the fact that every warning given, you know, Dr. Rush Jr. wrote a book, The Messianic Character of American Education. Sam wrote books, Victims of Dick and Jane, the, A Revolution in Education. But somehow or other, reading those books didn't do as much to anger me, quite frankly, as yours did. So before we get into the bulk of the content of the book, Would you mind sharing with my listeners how you came to begin this project? And were you surprised as you did your research? Well, thank you, Andrea. I was shocked and flabbergasted as I began learning these things. And I thought I knew a lot about education, but uh, studying under Sam and and working with him, I realized uh, my knowledge wasn't even the tip of the tip of the iceberg. So, uh, you know, the, the way this started um, I, I had been researching what was going on in education. I, I never went to a government school in America, uh, period. In fact, I, I never really went to school in America until college. I was overseas most of my life at these elite international schools. So I didn't really know what was happening. It was, it was all kind of foreign to me. The only experience I had with it was when my little brother 
came back for his final year and it was a total disaster. So I knew something was really wrong, but I didn't quite know what. Uh, came back for college and started writing articles and found out about this thing called Common Core. And I, I realized they were trying to impose national standards on the country. And I thought, what that that doesn't seem to line up with what's in our constitution. That doesn't seem to line up with our federalist system of government. That's kind of strange. So I started digging in and right away, of course, you find Bill Gates everywhere. His money is funding all this along with the U.S. taxpayers' money. So I started writing a series of articles. In fact, I did some cover stories for the New American Magazine where Sam was also a regular contributor. And the more I dug, the more disturbing material I found. Well, Sam had all the background. Sam had been, I think he had written at that time, 12 books on education and public schools. And so he, I got a call one day from him and uh, WorldNet Daily Books, which was the uh, the publishing company that originally published Crimes of the Educators, our book. And they said, hey, uh, Alex, we know that we write for a lot of the same publications. I was writing for WND at the time as well. It was At the time, was the, the largest conservative Christian um, online media outlet in the world. And uh, I said, whoa, yeah, of course, I'd be honored to work with Sam. You know, I knew of Sam. I knew of his work. I hadn't read all his books, but I knew it was critically important. I knew I knew he was a, a very respected figure in his field. And so for me, it was an incredible honor to be asked to participate in that. I said yes, and we got to work. And, uh, you know, one of the early things I did as part of that was start reading all his books. So what we decided in the end was that Sam would focus on the historical component of it because he was so familiar with it. And I would focus on what was happening at the present moment with the expansion of the Department of Education, the Common Core, the move toward internationalizing the education system under UNESCO, which, you know, of course, Sam had covered some of that history all the way back in NEA, Trojan Horse and American Education. So some of that Sam was familiar with, but I was kind of more up to speed on the nitty gritty of what was happening at the time. So we just basically divided it up that way. Sam handled the history that what had happened in the past, I handled what was going on uh, at that time when we were writing it and what was coming in the future, uh, an incredible collaboration. And I consider it one of the greatest honors of my life to have been able to work with Sam uh, and, and to be able to you know, take the baton from him and, and keep keep running in this race. So. What a lot of people don't know about Sam, and I had the pleasure of calling him my friend. As a matter of fact, he's the one who told me I should start writing on homeschooling. And when he told me, I remember being at a restaurant laughing, going, who would want to listen to me? And, you know, he gave that Sam Blumenfeld look that said, OK, you don't get it now, but you'll get it eventually. And so, yes, <laughs> uh, you know what I'm talking about. I do. But, you know, I used the term criminal cartel. Now, people are used to hearing cartel, drug cartels, and they're used to hearing things about how certain things are gateway drugs to harder drugs. So do you think it's a stretch? And this is the question I'm posing. Do you believe modern education in government schools is a gateway to slavery? There is no question about it. In fact, it's not even a gateway because a gateway implies that there's some sense of choice, right? You don't have to choose to walk through a gateway. Right? That's, that's a choice that you make. Okay, there's a gate. I think I'm going to walk through it. Um, what happens after being indoctrinated for 12 years or more in these government indoctrination centers is that it, it almost becomes inevitable that you will be enslaved. At the very least, mentally and spiritually, uh, you will you will be in bondage, almost guaranteed. I tell people, you know, just looking at the data that we have, it, it, if you send your kids to a government school, it's like playing Russian roulette, only you've got five rounds in six chambers and one empty instead of one round in six chambers and the rest empty. Uh, it's almost certain that your kids are going to emerge from there um, indoctrinated, dumbed down, um, spiritually deformed uh, as a result of the lies that are that are instilled that are propagated as 
unquestionable truth. So um, absolutely, it, it is one thing leads to another. But I would say, really, it's it's not even um, an option. Once once people go down there, it's very very difficult to get oneself out, and it's it's not like just a simple choice like, hey, I'll go through there, or hey, I won't. And you know, we we call it a criminal cartel. And I think to a lot of people who aren't familiar with the information we're presenting, that probably sounds kind of inflammatory. But uh, you know, I, I think um, one of the secretary, U.S. secretaries of education. He actually referred to the NEA, and I mentioned this uh, in one of my articles, and it came up in court one time when I was testifying as an expert witness. Uh, I think it was Bennett, if I'm not mistaken. One one of these secretaries of education said that the NEA was a terrorist organization, (laughs) and and I I just quoted him. You know, when you really dig down, what you find is this is not just about a a difference of opinion. This is not just like, well, hey, I, I prefer different policies. Um, this is incredibly destructive. It is a cartel in the truest sense of the term. There are, I mean, as we point out in the title of the book, crimes. Um, that's not hyperbole. There are actual crimes that are being perpetrated here against our country, against children, against uh, the taxpayers who are funding all of this. And uh, it needs to stop. So, like you said, and I'm not, I mean, I'm not averse to using inflammatory phraseology if it's appropriate, but too many people think the problems just started with Common Core or drag queen story hour or transgender suggestions and and all that sort of stuff. But you really show that this is the fruit. This is the flower on the tree that had its roots over a hundred years ago. So this is not a new thing. It speaks to how patient the enemies of God have been in changing the culture. Talk a little bit about that. Well, it's been a multi-generational process. It's been going on for a long time. Now, Sam, you know, in the book actually talks a little bit about his experience in a public school, not quite a hundred years ago, but not, not far from it. Um, in New York. And obviously he had a very different experience than a child today would have, right? Uh, up until the 1970s, a lot of our public schools had riflery teams. Kids used to bring guns to school in their pickup trucks. Uh, up until the 1960s, they still prayed in the classroom. They still read the Bible, right? The Bible was still, in some ways, at least, obviously that diminished over time, but in some ways it was still an important part of education. Uh, it was still understood that our value systems come from uh, the Ten Commandments and from the re- revelations of God. It wasn't just a, hey, you get to pick your own morality. So there has been a slow deterioration. But what I try to highlight for people is that ultimately, this was the goal from the very beginning. The people who established this system, they couldn't just come out and say, hey, guys, we're going to brainwash your kids to hate God, to hate their country, to hate the church, to hate their families, and to be good little cogs in a machine so that we can have a global utopia that we're going to control, by the way. Uh, you know that, that would have been so unpopular. These people probably would have been tarred and feathered, uh, maybe put into a mental institution. Right? I mean, it's just, it simply wasn't feasible to just come out and tell the truth about what they were planning. And so instead, they gradually brought about these changes. So once they got the, the government school system firmly in place, the compulsory attendance laws, you know, World War One came, the women got chased out of their homes, the children got forced into government schools. It was the first time that a majority of American children ended up uh, in government indoctrination centers masquerading at schools uh, after World War Two. And um, it, you, you see this slow deterioration, right? And we, we talk some about that in the book, how, how they change the method that reading is taught to, to deliberately dumb down the population, to deliberately encourage reading disabilities and, and even illiteracy. Um, we see the decline in the moral standards, right? Gradually, the Bible took a less and less important role in education. Gradually, faith uh, took a less and less important role in education. And then, uh, you know, that culminates in the 1960s where the Supreme Court just kind of makes it official 
and says uh, you can't have Bibles, you can't have prayers in public schools because the First Amendment. And at, I mean, at that point, you have to realize Americans must have been incredibly dumbed down to believe something so idiotic that the founding fathers, when they wrote the First Amendment, intended to ban the Bible and prayer in schools. I mean, that, that's how dumbed down and indoctrinated we were as a nation that the American people would tolerate that. But uh, this has been a multi-generational plan. And if you look at the people who created it, I'm thinking people like Robert Owen, one of the first advocates of government-controlled education, really since Plato, right? The, the philosopher king should rule over us guy. Um, and then you look at Horace Mann, who wanted to get the Bible out of the classroom, who uh, believed in phrenology, who, who believed in uh, creating a utopia here on earth by using government schools to reform people's character, uh, not in, in a biblical sense, but in a secular sense. Uh, then you look at John Dewey, the guy who really, I don't think you can describe him any other way than as a communist. Uh, he went to the Soviet Union. He loved what was going on there. What you see is there, there's intent. There, there was a deliberate plan to, to, to bring this about. And now we are seeing the fruit of that. Now, you know, the Bible says judge something by its fruit. Well, here we are. We see the fruit, right? We see our country imploding. We see our churches uh, dying. We see uh, our, our society collapsing in on itself. We see morality in a tailspin. We see kids who don't know uh, whether they're boys or girls trying to have their genitals surgically mutilated to become a new gender. I mean, this stuff would have been unthinkable in previous generations. And yet here we are. This is the direct result of the government education system, but it didn't happen all at once. It was a process that took place, a gradual process that took place over a century. And uh, I can guarantee it's going to get worse before it gets better. I mean, there's no magic wand that we're just going to wave and solve all of this. uh, If there is any chance to to turn the tide at this point, uh, it's going to have to be a multi-generational process, just like it was a multi-generational process to get us into this mess. I agree. And that's the part a lot of people don't like. They like a quick solution but until you know the breadth and depth of the problem, you're not even going to be able to know what a solution would look like. So, Alex, what is the fixation with utopia? Utopia is not a biblical concept. How have people embraced the idea that we can reach a utopia? Well, part of it is that they deny human nature. Um, you know, they, they believe and they've been, I think, misled to believe that uh, mankind is basically good. Right? The, the problem is, and, and many of the architects of our current government school system were very clear about this, that they, they think the problem is that uh, these kids are being educated by uh, selfish, individualistic Christian parents who are perpetuating you know, this, this silly way of looking at the world. And, uh, and of course, we know as Christians that that's not true. Um, I, I think Frankly, it should be obvious to anyone. <laughs> I don't think you really should even have to read the scriptures to recognize that human nature is intensely evil when left to its own devices. I mean, let's look at the world around us. Look at human history. Look at babies, right? As Vody Balcom calls them, viper in a diaper, right? All they think <laughs> about is themselves and they'll, they'll throw a temper tantrum if they don't get their way and they'll hit you. And, you know, thank God that he made them small right? <laughs> so that they couldn't kill us because uh, that is human nature. Basically it's, you know, mankind is selfish. Mankind is evil. Uh, and a lot of these utopians, for whatever reason, don't recognize that. They, they think that the, the true key to building this utopia on earth is to just reform mankind using government. And so we need new policies. We need more welfare state. We need new ways of educating kids so that they'll be more tolerant and, and, and all the standard stuff. But the, the real problem boils down to they have a worldview that is flawed, a worldview that leads them to conclusions that, frankly, I think are ridiculous. And uh, we know that utopia is not possible without God. 
without Christ. Uh, but these people uh, who have rejected Christ, who have rejected the truth of the Bible, uh, don't see that. And, uh, and so they use institutions like the public school system to try to bring about their vision. Uh, and they don't realize, you know, it, it's so ironic. Uh, Horace Mann thought that once we could get secular government education going, he, he actually wrote that uh, we should be able to abolish uh, nine tenths of the laws in the criminal code, that we wouldn't really have a crime problem anymore. Uh, <laughs> and of course, we saw just the opposite, right? We see crime exploding in this country in, in, a, in a way that I mean, would have been unthinkable to people during the mid 1800s when Horace Mann was working his magic. So Okay, so um, we can say, look what they did, look what they did. But what do you think made it so that people were so easily fooled? In other words, if someone comes up to you and says, here, I'm going to give your children poison and smile at you and you say, well, okay, poison, I know what poison is. No, I'm not going to accept it. Why do you think so many people not only accepted it, but were willing to give up the idea that other people with degrees after their name knew more about their children than they did? Well, I think there's a few things going on here. One of them is that uh, people were not reading and understanding the word of God. If you read your Bible, there's a very clear delegation of authority over the upbringing and the discipling and the educating of children. And that is placed squarely on the shoulders of their parents. Now, uh, I, I'm not saying that parents can't delegate out some responsibilities. I'm not saying that the church can't play a supplemental role. But ultimately, the buck stops at mom and dad. The Bible makes that crystal clear. And, uh, you know, we are, as I mentioned, our, our human nature is evil and sinful and also lazy. right? And, and someone comes along and says, hey, that's a lot of responsibility you're carrying on your shoulders. You know, I could probably help you do a little bit of that. And, and you know, I've got a degree. You can trust me. I study. I, I'm an expert on this. So you, know, you don't have to worry about me. I, I'll just help you. Um, and I think a, a lack of biblical literacy and discernment was a big part of the problem. Also, you know, we have to acknowledge too, there was some deception involved. Uh, Robert Owen, when he first came up with this idea that uh, government schools were needed to reform mankind so that we could live in a communist utopia, um, he didn't just come right out and tell everybody, hey guys, I want the government to brainwash your kids. Uh, he set up a secret society. And we know this because one of the people involved in it actually uh, came out as a whistleblower, Oristus Brownson. He, he became a Catholic and uh, decided what these people were doing was wrong. And so he, he exposed all of it and he wrote publicly about it. And he said, they, these guys created a secret society modeled on the Carbonari of Europe. And their immediate goals were to change public opinion into favoring government involvement in education and also to uh, get men elected to the legislatures who would support uh, government control and government involvement in education. And so members of this secret society weren't out there saying, hey, guys, we want the government to brainwash your kids so they can be good little communists and realize that your Bibles are silly. Um, you know, they went out there and, and gave arguments that were palatable to people at the time. Uh, one of the ways that they duped uh, some of the Protestant churches here is by telling them, hey, all these Catholics are immigrating here. And, um, you know, we need to make sure that we have them all in government schools so that uh, the government schools will teach them, uh, you know, Protestantism and we'll read the Bible to them and that kind of stuff. And then we'll be able to counteract uh, this, this massive Catholic immigration that's coming. Now, of course, that was a ruse, uh, but many Protestant leaders were convinced by that idea. They said, okay, well, you know, maybe the government can operate Protestant schools and, you know, we'll force the Catholic kids to come there and uh, that'll be helpful. Uh, and of course, it didn't turn out that way, right? <laughs> the Catholics no. actually saw the writing on the wall before the Protestants and said, wait a minute. No, we're not going to let you do that. To our kids. We're going to set up our own Catholic schools. They set up these parochial schools all over the country. And so, you know, they made the, the correct decision before or, uh, many of the Protestant churches did. And, um, and you know, kudos to them for, for recognizing that. But unfortunately, that's how they got a lot of the 
Protestants to um, to at least lessen their opposition to more and more government involvement in education by using manipulation and deception and things like this. And, you know, many well-meaning people got uh, got sucked into these arguments. And uh, eventually we got to the point where it's just kind of taken for granted that the government is in charge of education. And, and I mean, uh, they still trot out some of these arguments when when questions are asked about the system. You know, like, well, why do we need a public school system? Well, because there's poor people and some poor people might not be able to afford to educate their kids. I mean, that's a similar argument to saying, well, there, there's poor people and that means some poor people might not be able to buy food at the grocery store. And so we should just have government run grocery stores. Right? And, and I think almost everybody would recognize that as simply absurd. And yet that is the argument that today uh, is made pretty frequently whenever questions are asked about the legitimacy or the validity of a, of a public education system. So it's um, I, I think it's a combination of different things, Andrea, but really it boils down to Christians were not reading and rightly dividing the word of God. And they were duped into uh, surrendering a responsibility that God had placed squarely on their shoulders. I agree. And, you know, it's not a pleasant thing to agree to, but it's never too late to get a good diagnosis from my perspective. And one of the things that I don't think most people realize to this day, that things like adolescence, Things like the need for a special psychology for children. This is not something that was accepted as the norm. This is part and parcel of how um, these folks who posited a different outcome and had a different worldview. So we have to convince people that experts know more about children. So children have a psychology. You know, we've got the terrible twos, like that's supposed to mean something. And then we have the prepubescent children, and that's supposed to mean something. And then we have adolescents. And when those categories created a whole infrastructure, so now we need a child psychologist, now we had dyslexia and all the alphabet, you know, ADHD, ADD. Well, I don't remember there being dyslexia. I don't remember there being all these problems. It was like these were children who needed to be disciplined and needed to do what they were supposed to do, and their parents knew it. What do you think about this whole industry that's arisen as a specific result of the crimes of these educators? Well, I think when you really boil it down, what we're dealing with here is an industry that does not need to exist, should not exist. And, uh, you know, I know there are many well-meaning people who work in the system. I I don't want this to come off as an attack on the the decent men and women who work in the system. In fact, there are Christians who work in the system who who love the Lord and who maybe don't don't quite see things the way we do. So I don't mean this as, as, as an attack on the people who are part of this industry, but it's, it's not just an unnecessary industry. I, in my opinion, it's a destructive industry. You know, one of the things that we talk about in the book is this um, medicalizing of um, behaviors that are either caused by the government indoctrination centers or aggravated by the, the system. And so you see, you know, kids who are dumbed down and who are taught to read using faulty methods, and then they feel stupid, then they don't want to be in school, then, you know, everything is, is terrible. And so they bounce around and they don't really want to focus and they throw spitballs at their friends. And then you get these uh, so-called psychiatrists and psychologists, they come in with their expert opinions and they say, oh, you have some, you know, pick a three or four letter uh, abbreviate ADD or ADHD or oppositional defiant disorder, you know, pick, pick some made up thing that psychiatrists voted into existence. Uh, and then they'll come up with, uh, you know, a drug regimen like, uh, here, have some amphetamines or, you know, have some, uh, very powerful psychotropic drugs. And, um, it, it's, it's such a tragedy 
what is happening to these children. The side effects are just uh, unbelievably horrific. Um, and, and this stuff doesn't really need to be happening. And I'm, I'm not saying that there are no children who have uh, some problems that, that you know, might require some assistance. I'm, I'm not saying that at all. But the industry that I see that has grown up here, in my opinion, is really illegitimate. It's far more harmful than beneficial. And, and they kind of create new customers for themselves, right? I, I almost think of like drug dealers, right? Here, have, have a little free heroin or have some free crack and uh, boom, now they got you, right? right. Uh, and we're seeing the same thing with the transgender kid. Oh yeah, you know, you, you, we just need to affirm you. Here, get some puberty blockers and here, let us inject you with some testosterone and presto. Now you've got a, a lifelong customer who's got to come visit you every month for a prescription and a checkup and some testosterone injections and, uh, you know, surgery follow-up. And soon enough, you're making millions of dollars off this poor kid that you tricked into believing something that objectively is simply false. Um, it's it's so sad to see that, and uh, and it's so sad to see what families are going through and dealing with that. Right. You know, if if you're going to break down, because you your title is crimes. Well, when we think of crimes, we think of felonies, we think of misdemeanors. Um, and the review that I was mentioning that was done by Calcedon in 2019 lists the crimes of the educators and puts them into categories. Number one, failing to teach children to read. Number two which you just mentioned, abusing them by drugging them. Number three, abusing them by teaching them to reject God. Number four, failing to teach adequately basic and necessary skills so that they can be productive adults. Those are just the highlighted ones, but I think a a general felony is when you do all these things to people, especially children, they end up with self-esteem issues, feeling like they're inadequate. And then these very people who have created it say, hey, we'll help you. We'll be the counselors. We'll tell you what you need to do. And so what's the, I mean, is there any hope from your perspective to fix this? If you just get the right people on the school board, will that change things? I'm sorry. It's a serious question and I shouldn't laugh about it, but I, I, you know, I just, I hear this so much and it gets so old. The idea that if we could just elect conservatives to the school board, things would be fixed. And I'm sorry, folks. It's, it's, it's not even something that's worth discussing at this point. In my opinion, it's ludicrous. And now I, I, and I don't say that to discourage people who want to run for school board from running for school board. And I, I don't mean to sound flippant, but what we're dealing with here is a poison tree producing poison fruit that came from a poison seed. Um, and, and it's like asking me like, you know, Hey, how about we reform your cancer? You know, that cancer that that's destroying your body. Why, you know, we don't need to get rid of it. I mean, why, why don't we just reform it? Maybe we'll make some adjustments here. Maybe we'll change the shape a little bit and, and, and do some tweaks here. And then suddenly uh, the cancer is going to be a good kid. No, I mean, it's, it's, it's self-evidently ludicrous. And I, and I tell parents, I use this analogy a lot. Uh, imagine that the building is on fire. And uh, you hear these these screaming children inside. In fact, you're smelling the smell of burning flesh and you're thinking to yourself, well, what do I do? Uh, you imagine your children are inside. And uh, if you say run for school board or sign a petition, you're a terrible parent and a terrible human being. I mean, it's just that simple. Uh, those are incredibly ridiculous ideas when we know that the children are being destroyed inside. And honestly, a fire is not a, a really an adequate metaphor because a fire will just destroy a, a physical body. Uh, what's happening in the in the government school system is not just physical harm, and there's plenty of that to go around. Don't get me wrong, um, it's not, but it's not just physical harm. It's mental harm. It's spiritual harm. It's emotional trauma. It's academic harm. I mean, these kids are being destroyed, 
And the idea that, uh, you know, our kids are burning up in a building and, and we're going to, you know, go have a protest or, or run for school board. It's just crazy to me. Now, you, you know, you got your kids out, you ran in that building, you did the right thing as a parent and you rescued your child. And now you feel like running for school board so that you can have a platform to expose this so that you can sound the alarm and warn other parents so that you can at least try to mitigate some of the damage, you know, prevent the, the pornography from being pumped into the kindergartners. Okay. You know what? You'll have my respect and I, I might even vote for you. Okay. And, and, and support you. But the idea that this system can be reformed, I think, is ludicrous, and I think we need to disabuse ourselves of that notion as quickly as possible. Uh, we actually started a, a ministry called Public School Exit. You can find us at publicschoolexit.com, and some of our uh, key members of our advisory board have, have been in this battle for decades, far longer, some of them longer than I've been alive. Um, I'll give you a couple examples. Uh, one of our board members, a wonderful, beautiful lady of God, is uh, Diane Douglas. And she held basically every position you can hold in the government school system, all the way up to super state superintendent of public instruction for the state of Arizona. She was the highest education official in the state of Arizona. And she, her, her mission was to reform the system, to fix the system. She said, we've got to protect these kids. We've got to do better. We've got to get Common Core out. And what she realized is that that's not possible. The system was designed, it's not broken. It was designed to do this. And so it's working as intended. So, um, you know, so she, she gave up on that. She, she said, uh, you know, this system cannot be reformed. Um, and so now she's working with us to help get kids out of the school. Um, another one is uh, Steve Baldwin. He was the last uh, conservative chairman of the uh, education committee in the California assembly. And they got some great legislation passed, uh, you know, trying to get the schools to behave themselves, trying to get them to stop uh, indoctrinating the kids to be little Marxists. And what happened? Nothing, absolutely nothing. The schools kept doing right what they were doing. So when he left the legislature, he said, all right, let's try a different tactic. And they ended up working to get school board members elected. I think he said they got 50 something school board members elected across the state. In some cases, they flipped the whole board and, you know, controlled the whole school board. And what happened? Absolutely nothing. Uh, you know, they got tied up in litigation and no changes ever happened. And soon enough, you know, they wear these school board members down and they're out and, you know, the schools keep doing what they're doing. So what we're dealing with here is like a, a multi-tentacled hydra and, um, you know, just trying to reform the, the monster or trying to chop off a tentacle here or there and expecting that the monster is going to die or stop hurting your children. Um, it's, it's not going to happen. It's a systemic problem. And, you know, I, I frown upon all these people who say America is a systemically racist place or whatever. But uh, in this case, we have a systemic problem. The system itself is actually the problem and it can't be reformed to make it good. Now, there could be reforms that would make it less atrocious. You know, they, I mean, if you could get phonics taught in kindergarten, that would be helpful because then the kids wouldn't graduate without being able to read their high school diploma. So that would be helpful. Um, you, you could get some of the pornography out. You could stop sexualizing these kids and that would be helpful, but it wouldn't make the uh, it wouldn't make the system salvageable. It wouldn't make it acceptable, in my opinion, for parents to continue sending their children there. And so, um, yeah, I mean, that, that's just what I have to say about that, Andrew. I don't think the system can be reformed. I think it's working exactly as intended. And, um, and, and efforts at reform just distract from the real solutions, which is we need to get our kids out immediately and make sure they get a proper education. And Sam used to say that he'd say all these people are going, our schools are failing, our schools are failing. And he'd say, no, they're succeeding. You just have to figure out what their mission is. Right. <laughs> once you see their mission, you'll th see that they're flaming successes, that functional illiteracy means that um, sound bites and media propaganda will influence people that all you have to say is certain people think this is bad. And then P 
people who don't read and investigate and research on their own will say, well, they said they're bad, so I should go for the other guy. And so this sleight of hand actually becomes less and less necessary when you've involved young people who are now older. Some of them went through this system and are now grandparents and great-grandparents who don't have a compass that tells them that their profession of faith, and there are plenty of people who say, oh, I'm Christian, but they don't recognize that they're basically at the end of the puppet strings that have been placed on them because they didn't examine it from how does this line up with God's word? Yeah. And, and that is a critical thing. I mean, if we are Christians and we believe what God has revealed to us in his word, then we have to ask some really fundamental questions about the education system that we have and the education system or the education model that God approves of. And they could not be more incompatible <laughs> at every level. Uh, one of the places I turn to is uh, the Proverbs. Right? In the book of Proverbs, we have Proverbs 1-7, Proverbs 9-10, uh, depending on what translation you use. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Okay, We have a system now that not only doesn't teach the fear of the Lord, much less as a foundation, it, it teaches ridicule of the Lord. It teaches us to believe that the Lord is not even real. Uh, it teaches us to believe that uh, it's a fairy tale. And uh, who could possibly expect to get knowledge or wisdom out of a system that does not teach fear of the Lord? Uh, we know, again, that parents are supposed to be the ones in charge of the education of their children. And frankly, Jesus gave us a very, very simple litmus test to by which to measure every institution. It's very simple. Uh, he said it in uh, Matthew, and he said it in Luke. Whoever is not with me is against me. And I think this is a very simple litmus test for Christians. Look at the public school system. Answer me this one question, one word. I don't need a, a word salad. One word is the public school system with Christ. And if the answer is no, that's all you need to know to make your decision. That leaves only one option. That means it's against Christ. And if we are to do everything for the glory of God, if we are to make disciples of all nations and teach them and disciple them to obey our God, um, how could we possibly do that with a system that is completely incompatible on every point with the model that God has revealed to us? And, you know, it, when you read the Bible, you really don't get down into the nitty gritty. It's not that God prescribes 18 credit hours of science and 13 credit <laughs> hours of history before you can be a well-rounded human being. No, but we have the basic outlines. We have the, the clear delegation of responsibility. We have the, the clear foundation upon which a legitimate education is built. And none of that is present in the public school system. So I, I think for Christians, this really should be one of the easiest decisions of your life, right? Are you going to follow God or are you going to follow the world? Are you going to follow um, uh, a system that you know hates your God, your creator, your savior, your king. Um, and if that's your choice, I, I think you know, you're, you're going to have some explaining to do because God entrusted those children to you and, and you're the one who's ultimately going to be uh, held accountable for the way that they were raised, for the way that they're discipled. You're not going to be able to say, well, the government school taught them things that I didn't agree with. I wish they hadn't have done that. And God's going to say, well, why'd you put them there? Okay, right. What part of the Bible led you to believe that you should give your children over to government uh, to Caesar to, to be educated. And um, yeah, I don't, I don't know that there's a good answer to that question. So I would not want to be in that position. No, nor would I. So a lot of people back when I started homeschooling in the early eighties, people were like, well, you know, my hat's off to you. I don't know if I'd have the patience. And they looked at it as one option among many good options. And so there were people 
who did not place their children in government-run schools. They either homeschooled or gave them a private education. And yet somehow or other, it wasn't the formula for success and um, immunization that they thought because once they were no longer in the educational setting underneath the school or their parents, they had to engage in the wider um, scope of life. And so I think why it's hard for people to get the idea that they've got to get their children out of government schools because it's a deliberate violation of what God says. Think of business or medicine or law or any number of things where people have not applied that same template. Is this glorifying God? How am I going to fare when I stand before him in terms of how I've pursued my economic decisions? And so it's not like, well, if you don't have kids, don't worry about it. And if you did send them to public schools, well, you know, they all have good jobs or they're not, you know, in jail or something like that. The real place is to say we've sinned as a, you know, as families, as individuals, but as a society. And that whereas the situation is bad, it's not like we're helpless. We could help those people who now need to get their kids out of school, um, out of the government schools, who might have problems because they are heavily in debt. And both people work. So what do you see as the strategies that Christians who get what you're saying should implement in terms of beginning to turn this around? Well, um, I, I think the first thing is parents need to make the correct decision and just decide, all right, we're done with this. We're getting out. And then there are a lot of resources available. So uh, again, I, I mentioned public school exit. Um, I'm the executive director there. It's a volunteer position. I'm not paid. It's not like job. I'm not earning anything from this. But uh, what we want to do is be a resource for parents, for families, and for churches to help get this process in motion. And so I, I think it really begins with raising the awareness level of Christians and church leaders. We need to understand what's happening in the system, and we need to understand what God's word says about education. And I think those two things should motivate people to action. Now, once that correct decision has been made, once a pastor has said, okay, I need to warn my congregation about this. I need to teach what the Bible says about the raising, educating, and discipling of children. Uh, then, you know, we, we step in and say, well, how, how do we um, how do we move forward from here? And there are a lot of options. So one of the things that we do is connect um, churches and families with resources that we think would be helpful um, for, for families who are you know, in a financially difficult position. Uh, there are ministries, there are organizations that will help with that. The HSLDA, the Homeschool Legal Defense Association, has a scholarship fund for, for financially strapped families that want to make the decision to homeschool. Uh, I, I've worked uh, as a teacher at Freedom Project Academy, an online K-12 Christian school for uh, 12 years now. We've got a scholarship fund where if a family decides that uh, they want to put their child in our school and they qualify and they they, uh, you know, they don't have the money they need to make that happen, well, we've got uh, donors and, and others who help provide scholarships for those children. And a lot of Christian schools, a lot of good Christian schools will have that. Now, I believe churches should be playing a big role here too. We should be supporting each other as the body of Christ. If there's a family in your church that's got school-aged children and it's financially impossible, and I don't even like that word because I'd sooner live in a cardboard box before I'd send my kids to a public school, but it's financially very difficult for them to make the right decision, then maybe the church can come around them and help them out. Maybe the church, and, and I know of many churches that have done this. They set up a scholarship fund where if one of the member families 
uh, is struggling to pay for the education of their children, whether that be through homeschooling or, or a good Christian school, then um, then the church will step in and help with those bills. So a lot of different options. Uh, you know, some of our members of our advisory board, uh, they'll actually come in and, and they'll fly into where the church is at and help you set up a one-room schoolhouse or help you become an affiliate of Freedom Project Academy. You can set up an online school right in your church where you don't even have to do it. You just have to provide the, the students and the computers. Uh, so there's endless different options out there. There's endless resources. There's never been a better time to homeschool and pull your kids out of public school than today. And if our goat herding ancestors thousands of years ago could educate their children, how can we say that we can't, right? It, exactly. It's, it's silly. So I, I like that because what it says is we can do something right now. So I've been encouraging people, you've got money, fund a scholarship for a child. Um, you've got time, help a homeschooling family with a subject that maybe the mom or the dad doesn't feel quite so capable in doing. But I've always maintained, Alex, and I don't think you'll disagree with me, that once you teach children the basics, you could do nothing else and just keep handing them the next book and the next book and the next book, and then watch the kinds of questions they ask and the things that they want to know more about, and then connect them with good people who are doing the things that they're curious about and that's an education per the definition in Noah Webster's 1828 is making someone useful as an adult in the society, which is a far cry for what happens with most of our government school graduates. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I could not agree with you more. And um, it, it's something that's absolutely essential. It's, it's essential for the church. It's essential for our families. It's essential for the future of our country. I mean, this isn't something that's just like an optional thing that might be nice. It's something that we have to do. And uh, I recognize that it's a sacrifice. I mean, anybody who uh, who has done it will tell you it's a sacrifice, but the rewards are huge. And you said something so important, Andrea, about, you know, just teaching a child the basics and then watching them educate themselves. I mean, we're going through that process right now. One of the best decisions I ever made in my life was to homeschool our kids. And, um, you know, we've got one now who's 12 and he, he is a better teacher of himself than, than anything anybody could do. Uh, I mean, he, you know, we taught him how to read. We taught him how to think. We gave him the rules of logic and, and, you know, math and things like that. And, uh, and he now spends hours every day reading and, and he'll read about science and he'll read about history. And, uh, I, I honestly, it, and it's no, no, uh, you know, boasting or anything, but the child is incredible. And, and, and it's not because my wife and I are great teachers. It's just because children are naturally curious. Children want to learn. And um, when you set them up for success by teaching them the basics and, and directing them on the path that they should go, then uh, incredible things happen. And there's actually a whole homeschool curriculum that we, that we use with him. It's called the Robinson curriculum, where uh, it's, a, it's a beautiful story. A, a husband and wife were homeschooling their children. And uh, tragically, the, the wife passed away. And the father was not the, the father was a scientist, a PhD, and he was not willing to put his kids into school. So he set up a curriculum where the kids could basically teach themselves. And uh, this is now you know, known around the world. It's a popular curriculum. It's called the Robinson curriculum. And uh, it's basically self-directed. That's not to say that parents are just totally hands off and you don't follow what they're doing. No, not at all. But uh, really the, the bulk of the education that the child is reading and writing and doing math and doing the things that they need to do. And, you know, they, they get curious. They want to read the newspaper. They want to read the magazines. They want to read the Bible. And it, it's just it's beautiful to watch what happens when you follow God's instructions to the best of your ability. You know, one of the things I remember that Sam told me in our many meetings with each other, he said, you, you'll always know 
how much someone's learning, not by the answers they give, but by the questions they ask. Mm -hmm. And if you think of education as nourishment, there comes a point. Yeah, we start off and we have to feed our children. And then, you know, then we'll let them take up the spoon or the fork and maybe they're a little messy, but eventually they feed themselves. What happens in modern education, even apart from all the atrocities and all the ungodliness, is that it's continually spoon feeding. In other words, at some point, if somebody's hungry, they're going to go eat. But if you're just putting food into them, you know, they never know to understand hunger or they never know what it's like to, you know, have to go out and find it themselves. And so to me, regardless of whether all homeschool or privately educated children always do everything that their parents want, at least we know that we haven't defrauded them when it comes to preparing them for adulthood. That's right. And, and if you followed God's instructions, you can have a good conscience. And I, and I tell people this too, as, as kind of a cautionary tale, homeschooling is not going to save your children. Um, the Christian education is not going to save your children. It's not going to hurt right, if you do it well, <laughs> but ultimately Jesus Christ is the one who saves. It's not the parents. It's not the education. It's not the homeschooling. It's not the textbooks. Ultimately, it is Jesus Christ who saves an individual. And as parents, we can do everything possible and, um, and, and, you know, and still fall short. But ultimately, that's uh, that's something that Christ does. We are not God. We don't save people. Christ saves us. And so we, we need to always keep that in mind. But also, uh, you know, I think following God's instructions leads to blessing. It's just that simple. Yes, uh, it's a sacrifice. Yes, it can be hard sometimes. But do what God said and good things happen. And to remember that it's not just the bad things that government schools serve up. It's what they're not getting. So for example, if you don't teach the commandments of God, then you're not informing on paper with discussion what God requires. I mean, one of the functions of the law of God is to let us see our depravity. One of the functions of the law of God is to lead us to a knowledge of, I can't do this myself. So if that's not the hallmark, it's, I mean, where it's good to just get your kids out and put books in their hands, But if you don't give them a foundation, then don't be surprised if you get to, you know, the third story and it starts to tilt because you need to have life and education founded on the rock. And of course, you know, what happens? Well, when the storms come, those who are standing on the rock or the house, I should say, to keep the metaphor going, that's on the rock doesn't crumble. It might get bruised here and there, but it doesn't crumble. That's right. That's right. And, and I mean, parents, what, what parent doesn't want what's best for their children? So, I mean, e- even if you're a non-Christian listening to this, and my guess is if you're not a Christian, you probably tuned out a while ago, but even if you're as a non-Christian listening to this, I mean, just look at the data. I mean, the, the National Home Education Research Institute, uh, nheri.org has been compiling for decades now the, the data coming out of the homeschool community in terms of academics and socialization. It's like the difference between night and day. Homeschoolers, even on the government's own academic standardized test, the homeschoolers are in the 90th percentile, right? Uh, even though they don't spend any time worrying about the dumb standards or teaching to the dumb tests like they'd spend you know, eight months out of every year in the government schools. So, uh, you know, e- even as a non-Christian, people should look at this and say, wow, I-, I want what's best for my kids. And what's best for my kids is clearly to pull them out of the government schools, period, end of discussion. Right. 
Okay, so we're getting to the end here. And I'd like you to comment on the two appendices in the book. I think after going through all of it, by the time I got there, the first appendix is about um, an educator and the transformation she saw when she educated people properly. And the second one is actually Dewey's own words as to what he wanted. And that one, I think I was stunned because I had never read it all together and to realize what a wicked man this man was. So would you comment on those two appendices? Sure. So uh, one of them is uh, it's called The Primary Education Fetish by John Dewey. And um, this is an essay he wrote actually in 1898 before he was uh, you know, a huge deal in education circles. He was already working in the field, but he wasn't uh, at the peak or the pinnacle of his career. But uh, what he did was he outlined a plan essentially to dumb down the population. <laughs> you know, all these kids, they don't really need to learn how to spend all this time reading and writing and doing math. And, you know, what they really need is to be properly socialized with the right social values so they can be part of a community and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, basically, we need to turn them into little communists and forget the, the education part. It's not that they need to learn how to think or read or things like that. That's all secondary. And we can worry about that later. Um, and, and he says in there, there's a quote in there. That we use a lot. In fact, uh, Sam and I both highlighted it repeatedly in, in the introduction of the book and so on. He says uh, the the um, the changes must come gradually. He says to force this unduly would compromise its final success by favoring a violent reaction. And so he understood very well, even back uh, in the, at the end of the 1800s, that uh, if people saw what they were doing, if people realized their plan there would be a violent reaction. <laughs> and I don't think that's an exaggeration. I think people would have reacted violently to the prospect of, of having their tax money taken for the purpose of dumbing down their children and turning them away from God. And if you don't think John Dewey wanted to turn your children away from God, you haven't read his Humanist Manifesto. Like right. The very first tenet of the Humanist Manifesto is we believe the universe is self-existing and not created. The flat contradiction of what God reveals in Genesis 1-1. So that, that was John Dewey's essay. The other one uh, is by an incredible educator, um, a good friend, uh, absolutely incredible individual who studied under Sam. In fact, uh, he uh, he considers Sam to be kind of his mentor. And uh, one of the things that he did was he tested out these methods. He worked for, for decades uh, in public system, in private system. Now he actually works as a tutor. And um, he he learned from Sam what was going on, and he implemented this. And what he found was Sam was exactly right. The kids who learned how to read using the correct methods, methods that have been used for thousands of years very successfully, became excellent readers. And that laid a foundation to become excellent learners, to, to be able to educate themselves, right? Once you can read, you can read your Bible. You can read anything you want. Um, and then the kids who are learning using the method that's used today all across America, the methods that have, have been used um, basically since John Dewey resurrected them after they failed under Horace Mann, um, the result of that is illiteracy and dyslexia and reading disabilities and a hatred of reading. Uh, and so uh, this is basically just Don's uh, testimony uh, about learning on this. And it's just it's it's so fascinating to read it. Uh, and I still I mean, I'm in regular communication with Don, the, the man who wrote uh, that appendix. And uh, he is a wonderful man. He's doing the Lord's work in terms of teaching kids to read so that they can uh, eventually educate themselves and, and read God's word. So uh, those are very, very interesting documents. I know a lot of people, they get to the end of the book and they don't bother reading the appendices. Oh, yeah. It's crimes of the educators reading. Right. 
I think it's the hallmark. In other words, I wouldn't just say get the book and just read the appendices, which I suppose would be valuable. But as you both have laid out the case where you touch on teachers unions and you touch on psychologists and uh, the pharmaceutical industry and how, you know, abortion, birth control, immigration, and now gender and sexual confusion all play into this because in order to have the fertile ground to have these poisonous seeds come up, you know, it took uh, a concerted effort. But one of the things in that essay by Dewey that riled me is his idea that comprehension is overrated. Yeah. And, and that's what they think. They, they don't regard reading and writing and learning and understanding what you're reading as important. They just regard uh, having the correct uh, collectivist anti-Christian values. I mean, that's the objective of education for them. And, and Dewey made that so clear in all his writings. I mean, yeah. you, you can just go back and read them. You substitute the word democracy for socialism or communism, and you understand perfectly clearly what he's saying. Right. And his point is teach conclusions. You know, one of the things that I think the Bible is adamant about is you don't teach conclusions, you teach God's word. And then the Holy Spirit either enlightens someone to conclude well, that means I shouldn't take his stuff because it belongs to him and not me. Thou shalt not steal is what you teach. But when you remove the ethics from it, and then you say everything is okay, which is a lie, then all that's left is somebody telling you, somebody in authority, somebody who has, you know, parents send you there every day, five days a week for 10 months. I better trust this person. And the person is feeding them conclusions. Well, if you get conclusions and you can't think for yourself, then you are the slaves that these ruling elitists want. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And, and that's what is ultimately happening here. It's behavioral conditioning. Um, they're, they're not teaching these children how to think. They're not teaching these children how to pursue truth. They're not teaching these children to evaluate uh, an argument based on its logical consistency, based on the evidence available to support it, based on whether the, um, the, the premises are true. Uh, they're teaching these children to uh, respond very much like Pavlov's dogs. And you know, people think that sounds ridiculous, but it's not. Uh, this is actually just a slightly more advanced version of what Pavlov did with the dogs. They're conditioning these children to display the, the response to a stimuli that they desire. And uh, when you realize that public education system is now basically glorified circus animal training, um, you realize that we, are, we are in such a mess here. So, Yeah, but I, I don't ever like to leave my discussions with people who've dug down deep and get, you know, you're telling us that you've really examined the problem. You've told us that um, it's not your view that it can be reformed. But you're anything but hopeless because you're involved with helping people who the light bulb has gone off and says, okay, I realize we're in a mess. Help me. Please reiterate the names of those places and organizations that people can go to and examine what their really viable options are. Sure. I'm delighted that we can wrap up on a note like this because I'm not hopeless. In fact, I'm incredibly hopeful about what's happening. It, it's, it's brought such joy to my heart. When I first started telling people, you know, after we published Crimes of the Educators that they had to get their kids out of the public schools, um, I got a lot of, you know, raised eyebrows and eyes rolling back. And, you know, like, what? I mean, that's not going to happen. Come on, be realistic. Well, the, the tide is changing very, very rapidly. 
Um, you know, we, we have just in the last few years, we had Rush Limbaugh, biggest talk radio host on the planet. Now he's, he's passed away, but three times in the year before he died, he told people you need to get your kids out of the public schools and think about homeschooling them. Uh, Franklin Graham, I did probably the, the, biggest evangelical leader in America and maybe the world today, right? Billy Graham's son uh, has publicly said, parents, you need to pull your children out of these government schools. Uh, he, was, he was responding to a uh, law in New Jersey, ordering the LGBT indoctrination of all children in public schools. He said, you need to pull them out and put them in a private Christian school. Um, you had Donald Trump over and over again saying, people, we have to protect our children from these failing government schools. Uh, and what we've seen is people are responding to that. According to the Census Bureau, um, the number of homeschooling families, families with school-aged children that are homeschooling their children, true homeschooling, not government school at home, but real homeschooling, more than doubled in one year from the summer of 2020 to the summer of 2021. So, um, you know, a lot of encouraging signs there. There is an exodus from the public school system. It's incredible to see it. Uh, homeschool communities are popping up all over the country or they're expanding all over the country. And, um, you know, not all these people are Christian, but probably most of them are. And uh, and it's wonderful to see God's people looking at the word and saying, hey, um, we're going to do this God's way and we're going to trust him with the results. And uh, it's spreading. I'm telling you, I'm, I'm getting more and more invitations to go teach this at churches and and Hispanic. I was just a couple of weeks ago, I was in Georgia teaching uh, at, a, at a Hispanic uh, evangelical Ministry Alliance, uh, you know, they've got, they've got hundreds of Spanish speaking pastors. So the word is spreading. The word is getting out there. At this point, it's not even controversial to say that government schools are right. destroying your children. And so I think we should be encouraged by this, Andrea. Good things are happening and uh, we're on offense now and we need to keep on it. And the church was always supposed to be on offense because right. we were told that the gates of hell wouldn't prevail. Amen. So we could, we could supply, you know, the gates of the NEA, the gates of the government school. Uh, the gates of Bill Gates will not prevail, <laughs> That's right. you know, but the other thing I want to leave people with, and I'll let you comment on this, and then we really will close it up, is that as a parent, prayerfully looking at what does God want you to do with your children, you get the help of other people, but you don't need the permission of other people. God doesn't say, go get somebody's permission to do what I say. So once you resolve to be obedient, then you can formulate what you think is important for your children and by all means get help, but the decision remains before God with you. That's right. That's absolutely right. Now, uh, one of the things that we've done through Public School Exit, and again, you can find us at publicschoolexit.com, all the resources you could possibly need to, to make this transition are there. Um, we had, I mentioned earlier, Diane Douglas, a former superintendent of public instruction for the state of Arizona. She went through the laws of every state and put together a concise little uh, manual so that you know what the laws in your state are. Most states, you do not ask permission. You just either send them a letter or just pull them out. Uh, in some states, you do have to, you know, request, uh, you know, some government permission. But, uh, you know, if that contradicts your faith, then, um, you know, pray about it, make a decision. But uh, in every state of the union, it is legal right now. Your right to homeschool is protected. And, um, you know, the war's coming. We, I was in Sweden when they banned homeschooling there. Uh, you know, the, the, they're trying to stop this awakening in other parts of the world. So, um, yes, uh, look at what the laws are in your state. But ultimately, it, it really comes down to just make the right decision, act on it, get your kids out, and then it opens up a whole new world of possibilities. Get the right resources, find a curricula that works for your family. And, um, you know, it's, it's I, I, I promise you the blessings are just 
uncalculable. It's, it's, it's so much. It's just unbelievable. So I, I can't encourage people highly enough to do this and share this information, folks. Don't just listen to this, this podcast and, and say, okay, that was nice. You know, take this and send it to anybody, you know, who still got kids in the government brainwash camps. I mean, if you love them, you need them to know the truth. And if you love the kids, you know, if it's your nephews or your nieces or your grandkids, if you love them, you need to make their families aware of this. And so I can't encourage you highly enough. Again, our, our resources can be found at publicschoolexit.com. And there are other great ministries and organizations we can connect you with if this is something you want to pursue. Uh, and, you know, just be in prayer about it. But um, I, I love what you said, Andrea, the gates of hell will not prevail and gates are defensive. right? We, exactly. We should be on the offense. Right. And there's plenty of people like me who have been through it, who whose children are grown and can help. In other words, it's really hard to do it wrong if your intent is to equip people to um, obey God. And I can't help but think that one of the reasons you keep the Bible out of schools is you don't want people to know about David and Goliath. You don't want people to know that Gideon triumphed with fewer men than he thought was even reasonable. So as we bolster people in their faith, the fact that there's a fight, it's like, oh, there's a fight. I get to defend my faith. I get to proclaim the crown rights of Jesus Christ. And you have people who are ready to be warriors as opposed to slaves. Amen. Okay. Listeners, check out his resources. Check out the resources at calcedonstore.com. We carry lots of Sam Blumenfeld's books, Dr. Rush Dooney's books on education. And for those who want to help fix the bad reading practices of children and adults, um, Sam Blumenfeld's book, Alpha Phonics, is a life changer. And I've mentioned this before. I had a grown man who was an instructor in an exercise program I was part of who finally told me he could not read. And I said, I can help you. And so I sat him down and we went through Alpha Phonics. He moved away years later. He contacted me, found me on Facebook and told me he had just finished reading Luther's Bondage of the Will. And I was like, wow, all started with Alpha Phonics. That's so awesome. And yes. we've used it with my kids and folks, if you're, if you've got young kids, can't recommend it highly enough. So exactly. All right, folks. Thanks for listening. As always, if you have any comments, questions, or suggestions, you can reach us at out of the question podcast at gmail.com. And thanks for joining us. Thanks for listening to out of the question. For more information on this and other topics, please visit calcedon.edu.